Hello, and welcome to Cinemakers, Steven Soderbergh. This is episode 32, Mosaic, from 2017 and 2018. I'm Mike Manzi. I'm Tobin Addington. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And guys, I have thoughts about this. <laughs> so, okay, so the, the thing to say up front is that this is a thing that was first released, conceived, and released as an interactive app for iPad, iPhone, eventually Android. I think now I can do it on your browser too. Mm-hmm. So it's like this like interweaving narrative, this mystery, this whodunit thriller killer, conceived as a, an app, then released to HBO. Right. I, for this, watched the HBO cut. Turns out that's the wrong cut to watch. If you watch this, you're supposed to do the app, I think. Because like the HBO cut is missing scenes. It's missing the conclusive who actually killed. Like you, you definitively find out who killed uh, Olivia Lake. And you also, they also cut out this whole thing about a cult in the in TV show. So I'm upset that I spent six hours today watching the show and missed out on things I just had to read about online. Like that's frustrating. I don't know that it's the wrong way to watch it. I just think that this was conceived to be experienced in multiple ways. You know, like you can do the app and you can watch the show and the app can just be an app or it can be treated like a game. I mean, there's all these different ways to go about exploring this story and mystery, which I think is the central point of its inception, its creation, like why it exists. But I don't, I mean, I'm going to go back. I, I watched the TV show too, Joey, so I'm in the same boat. But I don't feel like, you know, I watch the wrong cut or anything. I just feel like now I go and I do the the game and I have a different experience with the material, the program and the way it's presented. And and I don't know. I, I, you know, I look forward to that, actually. I ended up doing I did a, a good chunk of it on the app and then watched the show. And given the choice to enter it again, I would probably watch the show again rather than do the app. Although there is more to explore because one of the things that happens in the show is sometimes you see scenes that you see a different version of a scene play out. You know, you'll see one scene where a character will be screaming and then that scene will get repeated later in the show and they're not screaming. They're just having a very straightforward conversation. And part of that in the app is that depending on where you choose to branch off the main narrative, there's a bit of a choose your own adventure quality to the experience of watching it on the app, you'll get different a different version of the story. So you can go through the story and come to the end and it's you've had a different experience of the show. And they try and give you a little bit of that in the in the TV show version in ways that I, I really responded to. I like that. But from what I've gathered, no matter how you do the app, the end is the same. Uh-huh. That it's always the same ending. It's not like Clue. Like, it's not like there's three different endings. Like, you always get to the same place where it's the same killer killed Olivia Lake. It's the neighbor next door trying to get the beryllium, trying to buy her land. So it's Michael and Tom? Yes. Okay, because that's because the show sort of makes you believe that they get away with it. That's how I perceived it. Right, which is why it's annoying. That's annoying to me. I, I actually found that to be kind of intriguing and interesting like the show is very i feel like structured it's very unusual than other tv shows it doesn't you know it follows certain characters for an entire like it becomes different character shows at certain points it's very experimental i think that's because it wasn't made to be a show it was made to be this interactive experience and so because it was designed for this one thing where it was like you're watching the scene from this perspective as opposed to this perspective and like you're in the mind of a character that's why it feels like there I was reading I read more about this TV show <laughs> than I did about anything else he's done because I was like I'm missing things I want to know what the thought process was here I read an interview with the writer with Ed Solomon who shout out Keanu yes. Club wrote Bill and Ted right yes. Mike co-wrote yeah 
he's done a bunch of stuff. I read an interview with him. I read these other like articles about like what these things mean and everything. So like I read a lot about this and I'm just frustrated that it seems like it shouldn't have been a show. That it feels like it should have just been an app. Like I understand why it's a show that like you get it out to a bigger audience as opposed to just people who watch it in an app. But it's just it feels like it's not what it's meant to be. Like, it's not how it's meant to be experienced. And I just, I'm just frustrated by that because I feel like, not like I wasted six hours today, but like if I had just spent like an extra hour and a half, because like, I think like in the app, if you watch everything, it's like seven and a half hours total. Mm. So like if you do everything, I feel like if I just did all of that, I would have maybe liked it more. I don't know definitively, but I would have had the complete picture as opposed to like, well, what are those symbols mean? Like the, the dot with the arrows or like who actually killed her? And like the show sort of like hints at that, but there's like a definitive actual answer like you see in the app the guy next door kill her like you see the fight you see him attack her and beat her i personally i don't know if you guys do but i personally just have a problem it just feels sort of like not half-assed like incomplete I didn't really feel that. I Maybe at moments, I just felt like it was unusual the way it was structured. That That's all. To me, I was just like, well, this is just like not like other TV shows. And it's a mini series, too. So I just figured it was like an extended film or something. I don't have the same frustration uh, that you did with it. The only plot point I would say... I missing out on now is that cult stuff with the arrow tattoos and things like that. I feel like maybe he should have cut that out entirely if he wasn't going to follow up on any of it, but it worked for me because in the end, it was like almost like a Chinatown ending in some aspects. And like the wrong man went down, but thinks that he is guilty. And I got the whole feeling that the people who were responsible were going to get away with it. And there's really nothing she could do about it. And you know, it's Chinatown. Like you just, you're not strong enough to take them down or anything. I'm kind of glad, like, in a lot of ways that things felt missing to me. Like, I didn't need to see the actual murder. Um, I feel like we always see the actual murder. Maybe the one way I would have turned this into more of a traditional TV show is follow the main detective. Make it his show. He's great in this. I love this guy. Uh, he's been popping up a lot lately. Maybe that's that's a way it could have felt more like an actual procedural or something. But I kind of like the dreamy sort of where are we, what's going on, trying to catch up with the show, the fractured aspect. Yeah, I totally agree. I didn't feel the ambiguity, I guess, Joey, that you felt at the end. I think it was pretty clear that Michael had killed her between the, the looks that those two guys are giving her at the end, giving the sister of Eric Neal, Patricia Neal. What's her name? I don't know what the, what the actress's name is from The Nick. But it seemed to me not ambiguous that she had stumbled upon the truth at the end of the show. And I don't mind not seeing it. I had other sort of issues with the show, things that I don't think worked as well. But I didn't mind the clues that led nowhere. And I'm curious, I guess, a little bit to sort of learn more about it. The fact that there were things missing or that it had a disjointed quality didn't bother me. So what's interesting about the way that this ended, I don't know that I thought it was ambiguous, but it, it just doesn't seal things up like it, it's just weird to me that petra comes in the sister of the guy who's wrongfully accused four years ago comes in and essentially solves the crime but doesn't mind that the other wrong person took the fall it's like she is there to get her brother out of prison but she's somehow okay with the other wrong guy taking the fall like that's what's weird like i just i don't understand her motivation there I don't think that she's okay with the... I just think it's more of a fact that she can't... She's powerless to do anything about that. Like, I, I think it's more for her to get 
down to the truth than to do the morally right thing at the end. Like she even, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. Like she shows her true colors at the end when the guy is caught, when she's talking to Tom and she's totally bluffing because like she comes from a long line of con artists. Like she's bluffing and the guy's totally sweating and he's like, what do you want? And she asks for the red room. I was like, damn, like that's who she really is. Like that's what it's mostly about. And she even owns up to it to herself when she like talks to herself in her head and stuff. So, I mean, for me, it was just, again, another one of those instances where where she gets what she wants, but like not exactly the way that she wanted. Like other people, you know, other people are going to get hurt in the process. And I think that's also part of what's going on in the story is like actions causing sort of ripple effects. Yeah, she's working this whole show to try and exonerate her brother. And then at the end is ready to sell him out for this treasure trove of art. I don't think she comes out you know, I, I don't think she would have a problem giving up Joel. Um, I do agree that the last episode is not my favorite episode. And I think that it doesn't end in a traditionally satisfying way. There are a lot of things that we don't see at the end in terms of Eric getting out of jail. And, you know, there's there's stuff that we don't ever – or that we're never privy to, which I guess maybe is me backtracking on what I said earlier about not missing things. But I also didn't care as much for the performance of – Petra, I found her less appealing than Mike, as you were saying, the guy playing the cop, uh, the detective who I loved. I would have watched him. I mean, scene to scene to scene. He is so, so good. And there's so many layers. Can we just call him Buzz? Yeah, Buzz right? Can we call him Buzz? <laughs> Buzz from Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, Devin Rattray, I believe, is his name. And, he, and he's also awesome in The Tick this season okay. as a Tim Foyle Kevin. So he's, yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff recently. He is great in this show and gets to do things and show colors. And there's this great bit he has with Petra where he's talking about – he's sort of opening up about how angry and frustrated he really is that his wife is in a wheelchair and he gets very vulnerable with her in that scene about his anger. And it's great. It's a great performance, I think. And he's great in – I guess it's like the fourth and the fifth episode. Those are my two favorite episodes by far of the show. And I think largely because it focuses on him. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he's overweight and he's kind of a yokel. But you discover very early on the show that he has excellent in instincts and a, and a real sort of moral compass and he's almost a Sherlock Holmes type figure at times and I love that character so much so that then at the last episode when it becomes mostly about Petra and her quote-unquote solving the crime I was just a little bit less interested in in her I guess and I by episode four and five I texted you guys and said this is like you know the back half of this show is great and then I got to the last episode and thought oh you know it didn't quite work but a lot of it did for me I, I like her. I, I agree with you, though. I, I wish it, I wish we just stuck with Buzz at the end, but I understand the show is doing its own thing. It's telling the right. story its way, not my way. But I also was like kind of – it was kind of – I felt like a little jarring when she sort of like comes into the show because like, it's yeah. like after a time skip and she's like this new character and we're already sort of easing into this crime and everything. And then here she comes like reopening case and everything. I'm like, whoa, I have to like readjust myself. So it was weird that it took me a few – took me one or two episodes to sort of get used to her uh, and then by the end of the uh, by the uh, last episode I was actually like oh I, I thought this was a kind of a good choice to end it on her character now whether or not like her performance could stand up to the writing I, I mean I don't know but I just thought that was interesting the show took itself to a place that it, I wouldn't have and I, mm. I think it worked mm -hmm. 
I think my frustrations with the end just come from what feels like a sort of obvious sequence of not the plot points, but like the who they're casting as the actual killer. Because you know it's six hours, and you know that the guy who actually went to prison probably didn't do it, because if he did, there's going to be like some kind of wild twist. Like, like, it feels like you assume that he didn't do it, and you're right, and then you think for a couple episodes that Joel did it, and then you're like, no, he can't be the killer, because we're still like in only episodes like three and four. We can't find out that he's the killer, because there's still too much show left. And you're like, no, there's got to be somebody else. But they really lean on that. And it's just like... If there was another twist where it was actually her brother, or it was actually Joel, like, we sort of, like, think it's him, and they're like, no, it can't be him, and then, like, somehow it actually is them. Like, I think that would have been cool, but the fact that it's just, like, it's this one guy, well, no, it can't be that guy. It's this, it's this guy, no, it can't be that guy. And then it's this guy, it's like, well, yeah, it's actually him. That was disappointing to me. Like, I never felt like a twist where I was like, oh, like, that's cool. Like, it's just, they're setting it up because they're sort of, like, filling out the time, and it ultimately just becomes about minerals, like, you know, metal and just profit. Like, it just felt, not lazy, but it just felt, like, kind of blah to me. It's crazy. Like, I didn't, I don't know, like, I feel like that stuff was, it's set up, like, the mineral stuff and the ore and all that. It's in episode one. Like, Michael comes to her with these things, and she, like, basically tells him off, like, I'm not going to sell. This is never going to happen. And then that sets the whole thing in motion. And, and then it comes back at the very end. I mean, I didn't, I didn't mind that because it was just sort of, like, the final callback. What this show, I guess, really did well for me, what I, what I got a good sense out of it was it, it always kept me in doubt, like, episode to episode I was actually thinking like other people could have done it like there's one episode where I was sure Bo Bridges was responsible in some way and then like two episodes later he starts helping with the investigation there was a a full episode where I was sure Pee Wee Herman Paul Rubens (laughs) who's fantastic in this I was sure that there was some scorn there and there just there really there wasn't he didn't do it so I was I felt the red herrings. I felt the misdirection. I felt the show trying to screw with your memory a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that it's 100% successful with that, and I don't think everybody is going to be as affected as I was, per se, but, like, I was getting really into this going, like, well, who has what motivation, and how far would they really take it? Yeah, I I've felt the same way. At one point, I was pretty sure it was Laura, Joel's wife. And I wasn't quite sure how that would happen, except that it seemed like no one had brought up the fact that she had such animosity toward Olivia. That, that was one place where I landed along the way. That was a, And that was a fun game to play. I also think Sharon Stone, who has to sort of carry the first half of this show, like this is a great role for her. She is someone I've always really liked. And this is a show that allows her to play a lot of different sides. She gets to play sort of, you know, goofy Twitter pages and in love. She gets to play angry and vengeful. She gets to play, she gets to see her sort of turn on in front of other people and then sort of turn off when she's in more private moments. And, you know, it's the sort of the range that she is so rarely allowed to play. And I just think she's great. Did you guys like her? Yeah, I think she's really great in this. It's weird to me that I think it's, I think this is what Mike was sort of mentioning before about the structure of it. We spend like two episodes with her and then she's just sort of gone. And I wish that she was in it more because she's so good. And she's so, I don't know if this is the right thing to say or not, but she's playing what feels like a masculine role kind of, like this really powerful alpha role and just doing such good things with it. And I feel like she was really getting into it and then all of a sudden she's dead and she's not there anymore. And she comes back a few times in flashbacks. But I was like, oh, I'm really like invested in this character now. And then the whole show becomes, it's like she becomes even more the focus of it, but she's not on screen at all. Yeah, and I think that's so cool because, of course, she does disappear from the community when she's gone. There's such a vacuum in the space without her there. And I think you're right. I think that the feeling is not a good one when she's not there, but I think that's also part of the point. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed her. I enjoy her in general as an actor. I think she's got great presence, and I think she's like a real force. Yeah. Uh, her character just carries so much weight, and she plays it so easily. I feel like she's just so light with it, but yet she'll give someone a look and just sort of like stare right through them or something, and then kind of like laugh about it. I felt like she was really good here. I also feel like, you know, they kind of pull like a psycho move when they kill her off. They kill like the main character off like pretty early, but I feel like she gave enough to resonate throughout the rest of the show. Like, I kind of felt her there while she wasn't there. I don't know. I I just kept thinking about how this all revolved around her character. She just really set it up really strong. Yeah, and I felt I felt that presence throughout the rest of it. But unlike Psycho, though, we know from the beginning that she's going to die. It's not like it's a surprise. It's not like right. we have the rug pulled out from under us. I wish that they were able to somehow weave in her story throughout all six episodes, that they were able to sort of cut back and forth. And I know that it would have like been a complete you know, change and shift in what the actual narrative was. And maybe that's the way it is in the app. I don't know, because I think yeah. it was two different editors. I don't, know, I don't know if Soderbergh edited this himself or if he had help or whatever, but I think it was two completely different people, two different visions who did the app versus the series. And I don't know how the app is laid out. But I just wish that, like, we had, in a good way, in an effective way, you know, some, like, some kind of backstory or history or new scene between her and a character, or just a different perspective of the same scene with her and a character, that we just have sort of intercut and that, you know, most of the series is about the present day, the four years later, but that we get solid bits of her in each of the six episodes, because she's so good, and then really, like, 99% gone. You really should do the app because it is going to give you the experience that you want. When you bridge to a place in the narrative and it says, do you want to go back and see this stuff with Olivia or do you want to go look at the stuff with Joel? And you're like, you will say Olivia because I want to see Olivia now. And it will take you to – like it will give you that – more of that experience than you got in the show for sure. And I think that, you know, that's a perfectly you know valid way. Obviously, as you say, that's the way that the show was conceived originally. I do think one of the reasons that you have to have a movie star in this, or I think it's smart to have a movie star in this role because you have to feel her when she's not there in a way that she was larger than life. The character was larger than life in this community. And they were just, they were really smart and, and lucky to get her in this role. I think that's why I'm so tough on this show because I know that there's a version of this that I would really like and I just didn't watch that version. And so I like what's here, but I just don't like the presentation of it. And I, I agree that like it's she's so good in this and like it's you know the sort of the prestige TV with the the movie star. And there are, I guess, sort of kind of maybe talks for like a season two. They're not sure if they're gonna do that or not, but like I guess I don't think she would be in it. Like I think we would sort of move beyond her. But I just I just want more of her and I want that like interweaving and like I don't think I'm gonna go back and do the app because it just feels like I'm just so sort of dissatisfied. Like I know I'd probably feel better about it, but like I don't know. I'm just I'm just bummed out. One thing I wanted to ask, you know, just all the things about this show, how it's an app, how it's a show, how it's, you know, this, it's that. Uh, um, Like, the book that the character wrote on the show, did they publish that in the real world by any chance? The children's book, that's like a total metaphor for the show that you read it one way and it's a certain story, you read it backwards and you get a whole new perspective? Or was that just created for the show? I don't think so, but I would love to have that. Because I could have sworn this was going to get a release or something or had been released or or something like that because it just feels like the perfect tie-in like the perfect gimmick for something like this i haven't seen it anywhere yeah no i that but it would be cool it is a great idea for (laughs) for a book i really think one of the strongest aspects of this entire show is the performances and stuff like i just feel like everybody here is 
really strong and like i've seen most of we've seen a couple of these people from the nick right there's like four yeah, or five yeah, like four or five of them yeah yeah, yeah yeah uh jeremy bob i couldn't believe how different he looked with a beard and like with yeah. the, the more like red yeah. hair yeah. yeah and then um the other guy's wife i didn't recognize her without her teeth but she's in this joel's wife was uh one of the doctor's wives and then the main guy who plays joel like garrett headland i'd seen him only in tron the new the tron 2 mm-hmm. he was in and like he is so much better now like tron is like a big special effects thing and i you know it's one of those where you just stand i guess in a green room and react <laughs> yeah. but like i was surprised he's the one character that just seems really like he would be the hardest one to play because like when he shaves his beard i didn't even recognize he feels like two completely different characters almost he's such an interesting actor well this is such an interesting thing for me because he is an actor who's who i've known as an actor for a long time and yet i I thought i had never actually seen him in anything his first movie was troy which i saw when it came out but and can't really remember and then i know he was in the the friday night lights movie that same year but other than that all of these big movies unbroken and pan and the Inside Lewin Davies and Tron Legacy and Mudbound from last year. I've, I haven't seen any of the, any of these things. So he's a, an actor that sort of I had, you know, I'd heard his name. I knew he was an actor, but I had to look him up, you know, halfway through the first episode. I'm like, who is this guy? Or I guess through the app, who is this guy in the, in the show? And like, oh, right, this is a guy who's like, I guess, famous or, or is well known to people. But yeah, he's, I think he's great in this. It's, and it's not a vanity part, right? Like there's not a, it's not, it's not a showy part really. No, and normally when an actor like shaves, like when a guy shaves, like I can still, I feel like I can still like gets a haircut. I kind of feel like I can still recognize him. But this guy, I mean, maybe it had to do a lot with the lighting and the wardrobe, but I, he just felt like a completely different character when, when uh, you meet him down in like Florida or wherever he is. And I'm he's like clean gators, shaven. Yeah. And, yeah, gator hunting farm and stuff. So that like just added another layer. I was like really tricked by that so <laughs> keep reminding myself like when they cut to him with the beard that it's the same guy <laughs> what i think is really interesting about the different eras the different looks the different before and after sort of is that apparently they filmed everything in the present day the four years later at once and then they went a couple months later or a year later or something and did everything in the past like all the stuff with sharon stone oh. and so that's really interesting to me because this was also in the ed solomon interview that i was reading that they were like how does it change what you're doing when like all of a sudden she's on set and it was like well we've been talking about her for you know the months of shooting or whatever it is she's at the core of everything and then all of a sudden she's there and it's like oh wow but like i think that's really sort of interesting the dichotomy of the filming here we are all after the fact and then we're getting thrown back to how it was before and that's fascinating to me yeah it just must give you a real interesting perspective on everything it's you know you're filming the present like the beginning of the show actually but it's almost like if it's the last thing you're doing it's almost like you're doing it as a flashback or something it seems like something more than just scheduling like it seems to have been done for an intent and a purpose or to get a certain type of performance or something and i don't know i guess it worked it seemed cool to me the woman who cast this show, Carmen Cuba, she's done a bunch of uh, Soderbergh stuff, everything since Bubble, but also it's in a, a bunch of TV, things like The Girlfriend Experience and Stranger Things. 
Sense8, The Wachowski Show. Oh, and, I love that And show. has done a bunch of Ridley Scott movies, his last five or six movies, too. And she cast this, I think, just beautifully. I mean, part of it is that Soderbergh, as we've talked about all along, is so good at getting actors to sort of change their habits and do things that they don't normally do. And, you know, you can see... And she cast The Nick, too, which is also probably why, in addition to this being another Soderbergh TV show, a lot of those people show up. But it's top to bottom. Everybody feels like they could live in that town, which is unusual, especially when you're, you're dealing with a town with sort of two strata, right? Like there's the townies and then those rich people, the super rich people, and you're sort of on, on both sides of that divide. And everybody really felt like they were in the same town, in the same room. They all seemed to have some kind of shared history with this place. And I, I think that she did a, a great job with that. That's something I think that this series did well for me was establish this community I know nothing about. Like, And by the end of it, I feel like I get a pretty good sense mm. of what it's about, basically. Like, I don't know anything that goes on in that type of community. Like, that's just way out of, you know, my world. But it was very interesting to get a look inside of it. And I, you know, I feel like it was a pretty good look inside of it, too, to sort of expose or, I don't know, shine a light on that community. It's a very wealthy community, you know, and to play it in sort of like a murder mystery setting is a pretty good way to get a sense of who people are, I guess, underneath, you know, underneath the facade and stuff. Like people really start to shed their skins throughout this show and find out who they really are or get told who they really are or come to some sort of epiphany about themselves or something like that. So yeah, I actually enjoyed spending time in this community. I knew nothing about there was a crime fiction writer that I was hearing give a talk once and he was talking about the importance of place in a murder mystery and, and how – because one of the things you get to do is that you have a detective of some kind who is – poking around and getting to like go into places that you normally wouldn't see and talk to people who you normally would like I get to sort of cross a lot of different divides of class in this case or, or at least wealth and that that's it, it provides you sort of crime stories provide you a chance provide an author of this you know in this case a show a chance to sort of explore all aspects of a place and I thought they did that really well here I kind of wish that we got more time in Florida maybe I don't know I think that the Florida stuff is such a nice contrast to this world yeah, that true. we get down there and then we're essentially brought right back, which I know is the point. Like, she goes down there. And I also do like – I mean, this is sort of unrelated to the point I'm making, but, like, I do like how twice on both Joel and then later on Bo Bridges, she's like, you're the only person in the world who could possibly help <laughs> yeah. me. Like, I like how manipulative she is in that moment. Like, that's cool. And for a character that I, I, I sort of agree, I think, with Tobin, that, like, she's not necessarily the most developed or the most well-rounded. Like, she sort of feels to me like – hey, look at this really pretty woman trying to exonerate her brother and, like, look how she's sort of able to manipulate men. I like that there's more to it there than just that. But, like, when she goes on to Florida, it's a little frustrating. It's such a starkly different-looking world, like, cinematically. And, like, it's suddenly, like, you have this sense of place. Like, you know, Joel and his girlfriend are talking about how they're just going to go and, you know, they're going to buy property down there and they're going to have they're going to work with the uncle or whatever. And then you see it. And, like, it's like, oh, yeah, like, they've been in this world for four years. Like, it feels comfortable and it feels real and then 10 minutes later all of a sudden we're just back in utah and it's like oh okay there we go <laughs> and then we cut down one more time to the girlfriend who's having an affair and then we were back there again too so it's just like i like the world that's established but i sort of wish we had a little bit more diversity in what we saw also i guess you know six episodes maybe you don't have time to do that i don't know Maybe there's an app for that, Joey. Maybe you can take a trip to Florida. I don't know. Do you, Would you rather go here or there? I mean, but I hear what you're saying. Like, they totally, again, I feel like with the Sharon Stone stuff, maybe they could have fit some of that more in with flashback because 
they do have lots of like flashbacks in this series and stuff, but we're mostly flashing back to stuff we've already seen. It would have been nice to flash back to something new, something that we haven't been like privy to, I guess. But I guess I'm okay with the setting because there's something about those mountains and the snow. <laughs> like It's just so serene, and I'm just really into the vista of all that, that uh, I guess I didn't, I didn't really mind that uh, we were spending all of our time there. And those houses were incredible. Like this verges on, oh, we've talked about her before. Um, the Someone's got to give. Who's the, Nancy Myers. This verges on Nancy Myers, like um, architecture digest kind of, you know, beautiful, beautiful houses. And, and then of course the terrible people or things happening inside them is really neat. I do agree, Joey, that it is a kind of a breath of fresh air when we end up down in Florida for the brief time that we are. It's such a, such a different pace. And it, I guess it's meant to mostly just serve to, you know, let us know how far Joel is away from, you know, his old life and these things that happened. But it is welcome when it comes. What's the sister's name again? Petra. Just one more thing about if there were more flashbacks. I just recalled one that works perfectly is when someone asks her what she thinks of Olivia and they flash to that dinner scene. I guess it, oh, maybe yeah. it was after or right before. I mean, it's definitely before they got engaged, but it was like that dinner scene they're talking about how, or her brother's talking about how she never finishes a book and this and that, and she's like super duper smart about art and everything, and then Sharon Stone starts just like, kind of like, not meaning to, but just like shits all over her it feels, and she just sits back there with that glass of wine and rolls her eyes and everything, and like, there's a lot of show, don't don't tell with this character that works well so yeah you know maybe maybe they could have fit another gator flashback in there somewhere and we could have gotten like you know when they like a, a moment where he's struggling with the bottle or something like yeah. that you know because that that does turn up a lot too so joel and his alcoholism i can't help but compare this to another prestige tv hbo miniseries in big little lies which I also sort of had problems with but i think overall oh. is better than this how dare you sir <laughs> what what that i that i say there's problems with it or that yes <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm willing to i'm willing no i'm willing to concede there are problems i i but i really enjoyed that show we're finally weirdly caught up with soderbergh like this is basically new i mean it came out a couple months ago but this is new like this is the most recent thing we're able to sort of fit this in the context of like what has come before this mm -hmm. and we talked about how in a way maybe like the nick sort of led to in a way big little eyes in terms of having one director for every episode you know another example of grabbing huge movie stars although big little eyes movie stars were much bigger than just clive owen but grabbing big movie stars and having them in a tv run so like that sort of led to this or to the big little lies and then here we are in a world where that already exists and other shows you know like true detective and the nick and everything exists and it just feels like I'm more in tune with the, like, wealthy, ritzy California lifestyle of the Big Little Lies than I am here with this, like, snowy Park City, Utah, or whatever fake town name or whatever that they give it here, Summit. I just felt like that was a more, that was a place that I was sort of more in tune with, and that sort of felt more developed. And it's told sort of in a similar way, like, there's sort of jumps forward and jumps back and everything like that, and, you know, this mysterious past and everything. And I feel like that was better than this. And I just, again, that might just be the limitations of the TV show versus the app, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, because I like the idea of this, like, new way to create things. And apparently they're, like, you know, Soderbergh and I think Ed Solomon are, like, they're doing two other projects that are like this, where it's sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing through the app. So if those do come out... Get Soderbergh to direct Bill and Ted, for crying out loud. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That'd be amazing. 
people would be great. But, you know, if those come out, I will definitely do the app. I just, you know, as a TV series, as the product that I watch today, there's nothing about this show that grabs me that makes me want to come back to it. Like, I, I enjoyed most of it. I don't know if you guys noticed, but this is on Letterboxd, so I, I was able oh. to rank it. It's sort of in the middle. I have, like, 17 out of 30 right now. Like, there's a lot of stuff. And that's more a testament to, like, how good he is as a director and how much stuff he's made that I love. But I just, in comparison to Big Little Lies and other shows like this, these, you know, miniseries, sort of open-ended, maybe you could return if you want to return and people want to return or whatever. I didn't like enough of this to be like, hey, I'm I'm going to go back and watch this again or anything. I hear you. I mean, there's a lot out there. Like, this is a good watch, but like, you know, unless you're really down with it, I don't know if you have to go and rewatch it. Like, I, for one, am going to check out the app. At least check it out. At least start it and give it a try and see what that's supposed to be about and the way that tells the story and, and, and all that kind of thing. But like, I'm not going to go back and rewatch this, I feel like, as a series anytime soon. I do love how HBO, and not just HBO, but there's just, there's like a, well, I guess HBO, HBO in particular, they're doing like a lot of detective stuff. There's just like, not just True Detective, but The Night Of, it was something that came to mind a lot watching this, which was, you know, again, I feel like the structure of that show was was very new or at least was trying to do some some new things with it also like a one-off miniseries kind of thing so also something with problems but also something i think is overall better than this I think. yeah yeah so that's the thing like I, I i'm i'm gonna give the app its shot like i'm gonna give it the its due because that's where it was born like that's where this show was conceived for but it's a good show like i you know it's for me it's in the middle like i i don't know if if Soderbergh didn't make this, I don't think it would have played as well or been as good or, or pulled it off. You know, there's just something about the material that he hasn't really done, like murder mysteries so much. It kind of had like a side effects-ish vibe to it at some point for me. But like, I don't know, something about the material that isn't all that familiar to him and his style that merged really well. Like, I'd like to see him take a crack at another murder mystery, maybe a feature length film that that has to do with like a detective or something you know that that would be interesting there are moments in this show that were a little distracting to me that were designed for the app there are times when a character will look right at the camera and kind of ask a question yeah or the camera will sort of linger for a longer time in a shot than you than you would expect and it's often at those points in the app when you're presented with the two options that you get to choose your path of where you want to go next in the app i did find that distracting there are places where you can tell this was shot for a different medium and I, I would agree. I would rank both Big Little Lies and The Night Of above this. And as I put it on my letterbox, I, it comes out almost the same place. I would put it at 18. I wouldn't even put it higher <laughs> than you did. But I, I think I'm more – I think I enjoyed the experience of being in this place with these actors. And, and maybe there's some there's some part of me that feels like, oh, we're at the end of Soderbergh, at least until this Friday when uh, as we're recording this, <laughs> his new movie comes out. But there's a feeling of like, oh, but at the end, I, I sort of wanted to soak it all up. And I do so, so enjoy. A couple of the performances. I think Bo Bridges, once again, is really good. It's something Soderbergh brings out something in him that I miss in other performances where maybe he gets to, he allows himself to be more goofy or something. But there's a, there's a grounded quality, even though he is funny, there's a grounded quality to him in the Soderbergh performances that we've gotten. So I, I think I enjoyed being in the show. If this, if this show had three or four more episodes, I would be very excited to see more of it. But on the other hand, it's like, I'm not, this is not like, I'm not running out and telling everybody you've got to go watch Mosaic the way I do with the Nick. I do tell people you have to go track down some of the Nick. I don't say that about this show. This is a fine show and there's a lot of charm to it. It's just, it's kind of an oddity in his filmography or in, or in HBO's lineup. You know, it's a nice oddity, but it's not for everybody. 
I also feel like we've been going and he keeps getting better and better and better. And so, like, it's weird to me that we sort of have, like, a not a misstep, but like a step back or a step sideways. That we had such a good show in The Nick, and then we have Logan Lucky, which is a great movie. And then we're here, and it's just like, oh, we're so riding that high. You know what I mean? And just to be here, and again, I think similar to what you're saying, Tobin, like, not having anything next to be like, okay, what's what's going to come next? Like, what are we going to talk about next week? Like, maybe it's unseen. I don't know. We still don't know how that's going to come out, really. But, like, this is sort of the end that just feels like uh, after 32 episodes of mostly really, really great stuff, I'm just, like, a little... Like, I wanted more (laughs) than what we got. I almost feel like, and I don't know how this is going to sound exactly, but I almost feel like we're getting what we deserve. Like, we should kind of know better. Like, this is experimental, Steven. He's back. This happens every couple cycles. And I actually feel like it's kind of fitting if this is our last episode for a while, that it ends on one of these sort of film school projects of his um, that he just sort of catches us off guard with every once in a while. It's great. That's just, I love that about him. It's just that he's going, he's going, and then he's like, I'm going to go this way instead of that way for a while. And you're just like, but we're all going this way. We're all going this way. He's like, I'll see you soon. We'll catch up in a while. But yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know that this is groundbreaking in the sense that maybe they were hoping for necessarily. I don't know that app-only entertainment is really there yet as far as like prestige content like this. Well, I think it is for younger people. I don't think that we are the demographic that this app was necessarily going after. But that's even more confusing because this is like a real adult sort of like story. Like I feel like this is more of a sophisticated drama. Like I don't feel like millennials using this app would be expecting this story. We're going to watch Mosaic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they might. They might. Yeah, I could be giving them not enough credit. And I also feel like somebody's got to do this first. Yeah, exactly. And if that guy is probably Steven Soderbergh, like he's not, you know, big on kids things, right? Like he's not like Robert Rodriguez, who sort of makes things for his kids to watch and stuff like that. He's doing the stories he wants to tell. And like if he sees this as an opportunity for the medium of storytelling to develop, he's going to do it in his way. And then maybe somebody like Robert Rodriguez or someone who just exclusively makes kids things, makes something that is like this, that's more approachable to like the 13 to 18 year old mark. I don't know. But I feel like if, if anybody was going to do this, it makes sense that it's Steven Soderbergh and that he stays true to his sort of adult grounded crime thriller type of story. It's true in a a lot of ways this may be a harbinger of where things are to come not immediately but generationally. I mean my kids they talk about watching the iPad they never talk about watching TV. The tablet is there is the way that they view most of the content that they see until I'm showing them a movie in which case we watch it on on a big screen. But you know this that's true even even with their friends. The thing that has me really hopeful is that so often when Soderbergh does one of his sort of experimental turns, the stuff that comes after it is really good, that he is getting something back in, in his in his veins. And I, I am so on board, Mike, with what you're saying, that this is a, this is a, there's something so fitting about him zagging when we're expecting him to zig and us leaving the sort of initial run of this show of him doing something we don't expect. And I think that that's, that makes perfect sense to me. That makes me feel a lot better about about where we've landed on this show. Yeah, I I don't dislike this show. I like this, I think, more than it's – even though we rated it the same, I think I like it more, Joey, than you do. But it, it is an experiment, and I've always appreciated those for me. 
I agree with you that I think that what's going to come next is probably something not necessarily safer, but something really good and sort of more traditional, because that is sort of the, the pattern that he tends to do. Although we know, not knowing what really what the movie's about or like if it's good or not, we know that Unseen was shot on an iPhone. And there's a story that I didn't read today, I just saw the headline, uh, that I'm going to read and post later on our social network. So if you are listening to this episode and you follow us on Twitter at GageClubPod and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash GageClub, you might have already seen there's an interview he gave or a quote from an interview that said if he had an iPhone in like middle school his entire career would have been different like apparently he is so enamored by this ability to shoot movies with the iPhone that like it would have changed everything he did so like I don't know that the next thing because we know the next thing is not going to be more traditional because it's shot on an iPhone and it feels like maybe that's going to be like what he does for a while like I don't know it's hard to see if he's going to zig or zag sex lies in iPhones I guess. Like, I'm sure he's going to get back to a big-budget movie with another Clooney or Julia Roberts or a Channing Tatum or whoever. You know, I would love to see any of those, but I also feel like we're maybe entering, like, the most experimental era of Steven Soderbergh's career, and maybe he's, like, exclu- I don't think he's exclusively, but, like, maybe he's exclusively going to use iPhones. Who knows? Yeah, I, I find that very exciting. I don't feel like it's going to change anything except for his equipment. I mean, I hope all of his changes in innovation and technique and and everything, like, it's just going to open him up to be more creative. And if we don't love everything and not, I mean, we all haven't been in step with each other, let alone him. So it's just like, there's enough of him to go around, I feel. Whatever he ends up doing, there's something for everybody. Uh, Even the person who hasn't discovered him yet, you know, maybe he's just trying to reach that crowd too, so... When I got to film school, to graduate school, it was 2001 and sort of the, the DV revolution, the digital video revolution was sort of really kicking into gear. They were beginning to change over the theaters to project digitally instead of run film. There was a big controversy at a lot of film schools over whether they could still call the, or should still call themselves film schools because film they, they, you could begin to see that film itself was going to be obsolete. And the high-end video cameras that we used at school were the same thing Soderbergh was shooting on at the time. And now my students, a lot of them, given the choice, will shoot things on their iPhone and they'll add They'll put lenses on them. They'll do they'll do things to sort of to make it you know to 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 augment the image. But if you ask them like where would you imagine this is all going to go? Soderbergh shooting on an iPhone is that the future? And they would say absolutely. Now whether it is or not, I don't know. But he has always been on the edge of how technology can impact narrative and vice versa. And the idea of him playing around with narrative delivery devices like whether it's an app versus a movie versus a show and what he's going to shoot on. Well, is he always going to shoot on an iPhone? No, probably. Probably not. I mean, he he was just going to go paint and then decided to make the Nick, you know? So this is a guy who makes big plans and then changes them. But I remain hopeful that this next thing as innovative as shooting on an iPhone is going to be. I don't think that the movie is going to be, it's not going to be bubble. I don't think it's going to be, you know, what's the, what's the one with the, with Julia Roberts and Catherine Keener that they, full frontal. frontal. I don't think it's going to be full frontal. I think the narrative is going to be much more sort of straightforward insane asylum horror movie. We'll find out. But what he's going to innovate instead is the technology and he's you know he's not been wrong on that score on the technology side sometimes on the narrative side you know yeah he does things that that are not our favorite thing but when he does he always learns from it and he, and he merges it you know to do something new so yeah i don't know this we may look back at this being some kind of turning point for him and that that would be cool i am down for more experiments 
if they're not like full frontal. That's all I'm going to say. Like I don't just as long as we're not that, I'm down for whatever he wants to do. So since we're at the end of our main deal with Soderbergh here, how do you feel about your letterboxed rankings, like top to bottom at this point, as you look back on it? Is this sort of where you thought you would be? Or were there other surprises that have hit you along the way? Let's see here. So I am surprised. My, my number one surprise is that there's a movie that I like more than Ocean's Eleven, but I am confident that Out of Sight is perfect <laughs> and even more perfect than Ocean's yeah, Eleven. Yeah. I was surprised at how much I liked Aaron Brockovich because I didn't think I was going to like it as much, even though I liked the script when we read it in your class. Mm-hmm. The informant, I did not like that script, but then I, you know, I saw the movie a couple years ago and didn't like it, but then here, I really, really liked it. I think my biggest overall surprise and sort of pleasant surprise is the deeper levels of understanding and storytelling and themes that we've gauged and tracked and developed here. And I think that's partially just being able to, like, watch these movies intelligently. But I was saying a lot of that is from Tobin, not to, you know, blow too much smoke up your ass, but I think from Bubble On, pretty much, talking about the American dream. And so, like, how prevalent that was going to become in his movies. And I was able to watch these movies and be like, hey, this is probably, in some level, you know, what he wants to talk about or focus about or what he's interested in. And I love being able to watch Magic Mike, you know, a movie about hot guys dancing, and being like, oh, no, 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 it's actually about, like, hustling and, like, faking until you make it right, and, like, right. all this, like, these deeper things. And, like, that's super cool to me. You know, we've never done a director like this before. We've done actors, but there's no continuity from one film to the next. Like, it's just question marks. Here, we have the same guy who's making all the decisions from one movie to the next. And I'm really excited to see, like, you know, the next directors we do, whoever that's going to be. You know, we have a list. We don't know who's coming next. If they're as consistent and as thoughtful mm. and as sort of meticulous and interesting to follow as Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised so much by where things have shaken out. The things that I thought I was going to love or that I've loved in the past, I still love. For me, the top eight movies that he's made, if if I catch just a second of them, I can't stop watching them. That's Out of Sight, Ocean's Eleven, The Limey, Traffic, Aaron Brockovich, Contagion, Haywire, and Magic Mike. If, those, if I see just a frame of those movies, I'm at least moved to keep watching more. And that's a, you know, to have eight out of, you know, 30 on our list, 30 movies, ones that you can't <laughs> you can't not watch. That's almost a third. Yeah, this has been a real treat, and I'm so glad you guys brought me along for this ride. It's been neat to watch him, as you say, to trace his career in order. I've never watched these chronologically, except as well, some of them were coming out and I was seeing them chronologically. But you can really see a career develop with uh, someone who is as touristic as Soderbergh is, or who has as much, give as, as much thought to his career as he does. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so surprised to answer my own question. I'm not terribly surprised. You know, I liked Kafka better than I thought I would, <laughs> you know, uh, I liked Ocean's 12 better than I thought for that to make a top 10. I never would have guessed that. So yeah, but it's, this has been a real ride. I appreciate it guys. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. You were the, you were the captain on this one. I mean, you're the one who said, Hey, we're doing this guy. We're doing him first. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> Did I? Okay. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I, for the most part, I was just glad to revisit a lot of his work because he's a filmmaker that I admired a lot before we even started talking about him and loved his work and followed his career closer than most directors. He'd always been a favorite. So I was really excited to do this show and um, I'm really happy with all the episodes. I think we had some really great discussions. There's more to come because this guy is never going to stop. <laughs> yeah. He is a machine. And that's just another thing thing I really admire about the guy is his work ethic and you know he's actually like I, 
it's interesting, like, you know, I feel like thematically you can kind of track his work pretty well. Like, you know, he develops and sticks with and then evolves certain themes about career and what people do to make money and uh, most of the things Tobin first brought to our awareness, you know, like the American Dream stuff. But also one thing I thought that was really interesting we touched upon a little later is how when you sort of tote the line and try and do things the right way, you're going to get screwed. But if you become sort of live outside the boundaries of the law and try and you know hustle then you can actually achieve something and that's something that really came up a lot um, with him as well it's also kind of interesting to rewatch some things and and not be as keen on them as i used to be you know solaris a little bit maybe some of the chase stuff but then also revisiting the oceans like oceans 12 yeah you know like i think that was a major one coming back to rediscover and then for the first time magic mike it's one of my favorite movies now like it's it's insane it's just incredible but uh in conclusion i guess i'm i'm really happy with with my list here i'll just rifle off my top 10 and i know it's a little weird one but this is it it's it's the limey out of sight oceans 11 logan lucky schizopolis haywire magic mikes informant aaron brockovich and contagion so i feel like 11 through 15 are are really solid too kafka's in there he's number 14 i just can't get enough of that guy (laughs) i want the recut where's that recut i feel like uh, i'm in a good place with soderbergh right now (laughs) i really do think that there's a benefit to watching things chronologically we do it for cage and keanu and charlize and everybody just because like otherwise you're just sort of randomly assigning things but what i think that this more closely reflects in terms of themes and trends and stuff is that over the last couple of months i've been watching a lot of major major comedies that i never saw before because i was pretentious or just either not allowed to watch them or pretentious or just missed them or whatever and it's different because it's all different directors all different writers all different casts whatever Mm -hmm. but being able to see the like the sort of humor evolve from like 95 to like a couple years ago is i think closer to this than we see you know cage or keanu or charlie's like they get better what they do as actors but i think that there's a real value in watching things across whatever spectrum kind of chronologically whether it's a director's works or like a genre or whatever to just see how they build on previous things Mm -hmm. like what's cool about this what we did with the nature of Soderbergh and I'm sure it's going to be true of a lot of other directors we do on this is that his willingness and his eagerness to go back and tap the well again for actors and actresses that he really really likes and so being able to see these people in multiple movies in different parts you know love Clooney obviously and everything and like even though I sort of hate the good German it's cool to see him in that movie (laughs) and there's just there's I think there's just a lot of value if you're interested in like seeing how things evolve and change like I still don't have interest in making movies but I'm interested in the sort of art of making movies and seeing that sort of how he goes from being this college kid writing a script then winning the Palme d'Or to suddenly now like completely trying to reinvent the way that you tell stories it's cool yeah that's well said yeah and also one of the things that I wanted to say was that Mike mentioned Schizopolis which I think you know I don't know Tobin was that your top that's your top 10 too right it's number 10 for me yep Yep. So the the one thing that I want to say is that in in Mosaic there was the cult that was cut out. Uh, it's the Church of Eventualism, which was oh, written into Schizophrenia. Yes. No way. Oh. That's great. Yes. So that is. I love that. There's a story like the, apparently the plot is that the guy who murders Olivia Lake, who kills Sharon Stone, I think 
kills her and then flees and goes somewhere and gets like sort of drawn into this cult and then he comes back and that's why in the show you know Petra keeps seeing these symbols because they're actively trying to dissuade her and like sort of hide and obfuscate the truth and so that's why she keeps that she sees it like on the card like the bumper sticker or whatever she sees it on that girl's hand that's taking notes or whatever that it's actually actively people trying to protect preserve this cult which is involved in some way and like wanting to get the beryllium or whatever so there's more to it there and it's like learning things like that which made me frustrated that the show just I think Mike said earlier like why include that at all like if you're not going to follow up on it in the show cut it out entirely in the show like if it's in the app cool like if there's I think it's it's more in the app than what we see in the show for sure but like why is that here other than just to like sort of make me specifically frustrated <laughs> at the uh, at what this show actually is did either of you guys watch the Heart of Homicide extra feature that accompanied this by any chance. I know you told us to, but I couldn't. I couldn't find it, or I didn't try. More honestly, I watched a little, a little piece of it, enough of it to see what it was. It's crazy, right? I mean, I know you didn't watch the whole thing, but it's like a um, unsolved mysteries type show, and the host is played by Topher Gray in old age makeup. <gasps> is it really? And it's the most bizarre thing ever. He shows up on the show in a scene and talks to the sister, and he's like in a gray wig, and he's got old man makeup, and he's doing a weird voice. I don't know if anyone wants to look that up as we're as we're on the air or anything, <laughs> but it was pretty funny. Like that's the thing is Heart of Homicide, and it was done. Like, real tongue-in-cheek, and they interviewed on it the characters played by Bo Bridges and Paul Rubens. It was like a full-on, as if, like, it was aired and people in town watched it. It reminded me of the fake commercials they made for side effects, and they released on the DVD. Like, they were mimicking sort of how it's portrayed in real life, and, like, that's how this seemed. It was like, here is what the general public knows about the Olivia murder, and it was, like, so obviously leaning towards that Eric did it, you know? I mean, it was all part of the propaganda, I suppose, that was being spread. If you get the chance, it's probably on YouTube or something. I watched this on demand off my TV, not HBO Go, and so it was a feature I could watch on demand. I got as far – I just didn't have time to watch much of it, but um, Neil Gaiman is on it as himself and talks about being inspired by Olivia Lake's book. And um, that made me really, really interested. But I didn't catch that it was tough for Grace. That's funny. Anybody else have anything else to say about Mosaic? Or are we sort of putting a, a, a questionable bow on the end of this for now? Because we might be back next week with, with Unseen. I don't know what the release schedule is. We're sort of recording this episode with some lead time in that if it goes to VOD or you know has like a short theatrical run then hits VOD quickly like we'll be able to catch it and you'll be able to hear it next week but like this is uh you know a cliffhanger of an ending with uh we're not sure if we're gonna get picked up for one more episode next week or not so it's unclear i don't really have anything else to say about mosaic per se but uh, i look forward to watching unsane and i look forward to whoever we do next for cinemakers and to keep this show going and thanks everybody so far who's been listening well, for all things Cinemakers, every episode of the show, and whoever we do next, and whether that's going to come before or after Unseen, or who knows what's going to happen, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter. You know, we have close to 20 shows here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, so if you liked our journey that we've taken for Cinemakers, you know, as we've referenced, Mike and I have done Cage Club, and Keanu Club, and Charlize, Tobin has a great podcast with his sister called The Contenders. That's actually kind of interesting. Like, it's... 
you're not really tracking themes through time, but you are sort of in a, in a, in a weird way kind of doing that. Like seeing where in that time frame, what was it like to be a woman in Hollywood, either bef- in front of or behind the camera, yeah, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, the, we, there is some historical context for us. Yeah, yeah. So it's not linear, but it is sort of like a, hey, what's going on around this time? Yeah, so exactly. It's pretty cool. You know, we have close to 20 shows, so go to cageclub.me. You can click the Our Shows link at the top. You can see all of the shows that we have. You know, we put out basically a podcast episode per day or more on average. So go check them out. If you like us, you know, Cinemakers is going to keep going. We're going to use this feed for whatever director we do next. We'll also drop in the Soderbergh episodes, whether they're next week or in a couple months or whenever as we get to them. But go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter for all of our shows. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Send us emails. You can email mailbag at cageclub.me. Well, if it's about this show, we'll read it on air the next time we do an episode. But like Mike said earlier, just, you know, thank you for listening. And maybe we'll be back next week. Maybe we're going to take some time off before we do the next thing. But I don't know. We will uh, We'll see you soon. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Tobin Addington. And we'll see you next time, whenever that is, on Cinemakers. Cinemakers.